gosh. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Brian and Paula. Thanks for inviting me here this morning. Um, thank you, worship team. Worship team's job is to lift up the gate so the King of Glory can come in. And they did a very proficient job. Kayla, is that your name? Thank you. I can't tell you how many of your comments are in my notes, so I'm not sure whether to thank you or to just kind of... <laughs> But that was the Holy Spirit, and I am just so amazed after walking with Jesus over 50 years um, that he just still continues to do things like that. It's just really, really fabulous. Well, thank you for your support. Nothing makes a mom as hard as happy as seeing her kid on the wall that a church um, is supporting their family. Um, just, uh, we just FaceTimed. My mom is here with me this morning. She's um, such a great support to me. And she, um, we FaceTimed them yesterday in Oaxaca, Mexico. And the kids are, just got back from the beach and they're heading up to the mountains this weekend where they sleep on church floors. And they minister to the people about six or seven hours outside of Oaxaca City. And um, they're like really doing it. And because of your partnership, they can do this. Amen. And I just thank you so much. Um, so I, I just wanted to give you a little bit. I am um, working now in this new season of life uh, for the partnership development of these Assemblies of God. And I'm a teacher by vocation. Always, I have always taught uh, our entire ministry lives. And so um, in this new season, they asked if I would continue with AGWM World Missions and um, work for writing curriculum. So this is kind of like everybody else gets exciting missionary pictures. You would see me at my computer with commentaries all over the place typing. And so I spared you that. And I don't have any picture of me doing my work. But it's very foundational. I mean, I, I really believe that education is the core of so much of, of good missiology. And our children deserve the right to know what it means to follow Jesus and how to help others do the same. And so I've dedicated my life, one of, my, um, one of the verses the Lord laid on my heart a long time ago is, oh God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. And now that I am old, not so great. Do not abandon me, oh God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. And I've pretty much dedicated the rest of my life, as long as I'm walking on this terrestrial wall, to doing just that. I really believe that that's my task that the Lord has given to me. That being said, thank you for your support. I think we can all agree that suffering and pain are somewhat universal. Over this past 17 months, I've been drawn to the book of Job numerous times for somewhat obvious reasons. It's a multi-layered book, both theologically and missiologically. And I'd like to focus on the beginning of Job's story as we start today and give you the context in my own words. I'm a teacher, so I'm a storyteller. And I'd like to just begin telling you Job's story on my own. So here's Job 1, verses 1 to 12, Cheryl version. So there was this guy whose name was Job. He was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, he turned away from evil, Basically, he was like your A-OK -okay good guy. He was wealthy. And in those days, if you were wealthy, that just meant you were blessed by God. You were doing something right because you had the money. And you had the land, and you had the goats, and the camels, and everything else that went along with it. He had a great family. His family loved to be together. Now, I'm a grandma of eight, 
and three kids, three grown kids. And um, I gotta tell you, I think all you would agree with me who are grandparents and parents, that when your kids get together without you, that's a big deal. Because like, it's like inside, well maybe just my sick little brain, I think, oh good, when I die, they'll still call each other. I'm just being real. So I just love when they get together without me. I'm a little miffed that I wasn't invited when I hear so-and-so got together to watch the Giants game. I'm like, hello? I mean, I don't know football, but I could just make believe. But um, I love it when they're together. And so did Joe. And he loved it so much that he even took the time to spiritually protect them in case they messed up while they were together and sinned, the next day he would make sacrifices for them to cover anything that they could have possibly have done, even though he wasn't invited to the party. So are you getting the picture of how just wonderful this man was? And then there was a conversation initiated by God to the enemy of our souls. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? To which Satan replied, sure. I know he's a good guy, but that's because you protect him. You put a covering around him, and if you remove that, he's going down. Hmm. So God said, okay, fine. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man, don't lay a finger. And this is the rest of the story. Let's read together, Job 1, 13 to 22. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job. And he said, the oxen were plowing, and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them, and they took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Whoa, I'm sure Job is reeling. What, what, what happened? And while that servant was still speaking, there came another. And he said, the fire of God fell from heaven and he burned up all the sheep and the servants and it consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So Job is looking at the first guy and then the second guy. And while he was still speaking, there came another. And he said the Chaldeans formed three groups and he made a raid on the camels and it took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. This is a real story. Sometimes familiarity helps us from seeing what actually is happening. One, two, three. And Job has got to be thinking, what's happening? And just as that third servant was finished with speaking, there came another and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped and worshiped. In his grief, every sign of grief was there. He wasn't ignoring his pain. He did all the outward signs of grieving, but he fell on his face and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll return. The Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, 
Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Folks, how could this be his response? Out of all the ways Job could have responded, this was his first choice. What was in the man that created this in him? As some of you know, on Columbus Day weekend of 2021, we're packing up Mel and Noah, and they were living with us, creating complete havoc all over our home, and we just kept looking at each other thinking, we can rebuild. We can rebuild. Just be kind to the kids. We can rebuild. And um, we had had a whole weekend full of family visits and saying goodbye and all kinds of things. And on Tuesday, October 12th, Dave took the kids to the airport and returned home. I had went to work. There was just no room for me in the car. And we had decided all my goodbyes were going to be from home. So I was texting him back and forth throughout the morning. And uh, the kids make the flight. Yeah, they're frazzled, but they're fine. We're texting. And then around noontime, I texted him again. I didn't get a text back, but Dave worked from home. He had lots of Zoom meetings. He had just got back from a ministry weekend in Massachusetts, and he was exhausted. So when I got home, uh, I went to see if he wanted any coffee. He was in his office. And it's really, really dark in his office. He has room darkening shades and all that kind of stuff. And uh, couldn't really see that well. And I thought, oh, poor guy's sleeping. So I went out, started making the coffee. And then I thought, well, if he sleeps too much longer, he's not going to sleep tonight. So I went back into the office, turned on the light, and I knew something was terribly wrong. Dave had suffered a massive heart attack. After getting our kids to the airport sometime between my last text and when I got home, I went home to be with Jesus. Sorry, it never gets easier. 17 months today. And October 12th, that day came for me and my family. We thought we were mourning the loss of our daughter and her husband and the kids. I had no idea I was saying goodbye to two of my family members that day. But I do love that the last act David did was get another missionary to the field, and it was his own kids. So typical Greco. And we find comfort in that. Though you can imagine how horrible it was for Melanie and Noah to get the phone call that the man who dropped them off at the airport was no longer on this earth, and they had to turn around and fly back. That day came for us, and the days that followed were the darkest days of my life. Job didn't expect that this normal day when his kids got together was going to be that day for him either. But God knew. God already had gone ahead of us and was waiting with open arms, and there's something I desperately need you to hear. Because I had a lifelong relationship, that I had fostered with Jesus, I ran to him instead of turned my back on him. Because my heart was broken, but my faith was intact. And that's the key to the whole thing. We don't know when that day is going to come to us. And I'm not saying you're going to go home and find your spouse in the recliner. Already have gone home to Jesus. But what I will tell you is that God's words tell us that there is suffering in this life. And there is pain. Jesus doesn't pull a fast one on us. He tells us very plainly that that's what is in this world. But he does tell us that his Holy Spirit is going to be there and he'll meet us at every turn and we're never going to be alone or abandoned. Job's reaction on that day showed he knew that too. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now what about you? 
Have you ever experienced a pain so deep and so raw that you wondered how you would survive the night, never mind the days that would follow? How would you find a way to go on living? Folks, suffering crosses every line we can think of. Culture, ethnicities, generations, gender, social status. All you have to do is pick your favorite news station and you will see that suffering is universal. And it's not just the loss of a loved one. We suffer when a dream dies. We suffer when we receive an unwanted diagnosis. When our plans for the future absolutely derail or a close relationship begins to crumble. And when these things happen, we may think, why me? Why me? I know I did. I remember thinking to myself, you're kidding me, right? The man, you tell us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the field. And the man who was doing that from every ethnic and language group in the United States for the Assemblies of God, you decide it's time for him to go home? You, you know he was doing exactly what you're telling us to pray for. And I, I, I'm being honest with you. Those are the questions you ask, and God's big enough to hear them. In Job grieved, but he didn't turn his back on God. I grieved. I asked hard questions. And to this day, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that one. But what I realized, that God was not going to answer my why question, but he was going to answer my how question. Not why did you do this, but how would I get through this? Now, that's something he's committed to. How was I supposed to get through this? How was I supposed to live without a man who I've been with since I was 14? You know, I, was, I did a ladies' retreat two weekends ago, and I was telling the gals, I said, you know, I've never been single in my life. I met Dave when I was 14. You don't really call a 13-year-old single. You call him a kid. So, like, this whole single thing is out I have no context for this. I went from my father's house to my husband's house. So this whole thing is like throwing me for a loop. I did start the lawnmower. I can do that now. I put air in my tires. I can do that now. Dave was my fix-it guy. He just, I was just, I just never did anything. He just fixed everything. I still haven't figured out how to stop the drip in my kitchen faucet, so I laid hands on it. And I just started praying over it. And I thought, well, you know what? I, I don't know where the screw is. So until I figure that out, Jesus, it's all on you. Just make this thing stop dripping. So here's what I discovered. My hopeful confidence that God had a plan didn't rest on his explanation to me. But it rested on his character. Circumstances don't get to dictate God's character. Bad circumstances, bad God. It's not the way this works. Our circumstances need to be viewed through the lens of his character. He is good. He does what is good. And he'll never leave me or turn his back on me. So how do we get to know God's character? By committing to take the time to know him every day. Folks, the day to prepare for your worst day is this day. You have got to be in the word, not because it's something to check off, but because you just have to be ready. And you don't get through the hard stuff by deciding on that day that, oh, well, I guess I'll go read my Bible now. It, it'll help, but it's not going to do it for you. I promise you this. If you cultivate a relationship with God in advance of that day, 
that when that day comes, it's not going to be pretty. I'll tell you that now. But you will have everything that you need, not only to survive, but to thrive. You'll wake up in the days that follow and find yourself closer to God than you have ever been before. Now, if my part and our part is committing to developing a relationship with God, what can we depend on from him? What can we know about him that will help us on that day? My life verse is Ephesians 2.10, and it reads like this. We are, that next slide can go up, bud. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I love this verse so much because it hits five things that I need to know in order to move forward. The first one is this. I have value. We have value. We are God's masterpiece. Our, his fingerprints are all over us. There isn't a place on me you can't see God's fingerprint. There isn't a place on you that his fingerprint is not. It speaks to my strength. I am created in Christ Jesus. His resurrection power is in me. The things I think I can't do, I can do because I'm created in Christ. Number three, I have a purpose. This verse tells me that I was created to do good works. I know why I'm here. It's different for all of us, but that's why we're here. Number four, we have a destiny. God prepared those works for me before I even got here. Before I was even born, he already knew what good works would be set apart for me to do. And the last one, which I absolutely love as a teacher, we're unique. These things have been prepared especially for me to do. And if I don't do them, I'm not sure they're going to get done. So here's what I've learned from suffering, and then we're going to take this worldwide. Number one, he has a good plan, and it's plan A, not plan B. You see, the artist never turns his eyes away from the masterpiece, and neither does God. There is a plan, not plan B, but plan A, between every, with everything that happens in our lives. We may think it's plan B. I know I did. Because uh, Dave and I used to, um, like, we were kind of weird. We'd been together a really long time. And so we would just like walk in stores and think, what are we going to be like when we're really old? Like, who's going to be putting things in the basket and the other one taking out? We don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need that. Or, you know, like, who's going to forget things first and like we're wandering around the parking lot like we can't find our car? We actually had a mug that says, we're going to be two really cool old people, which I threw out because I just couldn't look at it anymore. But... I thought this was God's plan B for me. But this verse tells me that he has a plan for me. And this was included in that plan. If I had been writing my own story, you can be sure this chapter would have been omitted. But I gave the pen to God a long time ago. I signed a blind contract. I said, Lord, fill it in as we go. I'm yours. You bought me. I belong to you. And if he chooses to fill it in like this, then I can trust two things, his good heart and his grace-filled pen. That's how he's writing my story. So the question is, will I trust God and his plan for me, even if it looks nothing like the plan that I had for myself? Number two, suffering is never wasted. God chooses to use our suffering and pain as tools, like a sculptor would use tools, to chisel us as he shapes us into the masterpiece he had in mind in the first place. And if we refuse and reject the tools that God uses, then we miss out on the opportunity to become the people 
he wants us to be. Oswald Chambers says, and I love his devotional, I've read it for over 30 years, that never hearken back to be what you once were when God wants to make you into something you've never been. That's a life challenge. Now, honestly, I would prefer that God use this cotton ball to make me into the shape he would like. Just a nice little soft cotton ball, maybe a Q-tip. Something really nice and fine. But he takes a chisel and he just pushes and prods and he spins around that wheel and he pushes in to make me into the formation of what he wants me to be. I got a couple choices. I could jump off the wheel. Then I stay like a lump of clay because I absolutely don't look like anything. I can fight the tools that he's using. Gets me nowhere either. Or I can be still and know that he is God and submit to the tools that he's chosen for my life. The last one is that he's always present. And there's a familiar, um, it's a little phrase that, you know, when you come back from the, we lived in Mexico for 10 years, and when we came back, I, I realized how heightened my awareness was of all things American and how different things were. And I didn't notice that in our homes, we put a lot of signs with words. I don't remember that before we, we went to Mexico, but like, be still, be happy. Sit long, stay often, love much, and all these things. And I told my kids, I said, you know, I'm type A firstborn. Like, I like to follow the rules, but you have too many signs on the wall. I don't know which one to follow first. I, like, they're all telling me to do something, and I don't know which one. So could you just put one up at a time? So when I come in, I'll do whatever that sign says. Another thing I noticed is just phraseology. Like, things that don't translate into Spanish, then, then they, they kind of fool with my head in, in English. And there was this one phrase that I kept hearing, is like, when God shows up. Now, I got to tell you, I depend on the theology that God is always up. <laughs> because I can't think that he's sitting capriciously deciding, oh, I'm not showing up for that. Mm -mm, nope, that's going to be a bummer. I'm not doing that. Oh, that one I'll show up for. Nope, not that situation, not showing up. That's not even theologically sound. God is always up, always. What happens is that we don't see the ways he's already up. So here's what happened. David passes away, obviously I'm traumatized. PTSD, all the whole nine yards because nobody expects to just walk in your front door and ask your husband if he wants coffee and he's no longer there. So a friend of mine, a colleague I, with whom I work, um, has a beautiful beach house. And she said, you know what, nobody's there. You need to get out of there. Like, like everything is, of his is still there. You just need a little bit of space to just try and process. Go to my beach house. My mom came with me. And just take some time. So I did. And I'm a, anybody like beach glass? Anybody collect beach glass? Oh, good, somebody. Okay. So I love to see what God does with junk. You know, and he tumbles it around and it comes out gorgeous and people make jewelry and it just fascinates me. So all my life I've collected beach glass. I grew up on Long Island, so very, very close to the beach. And um, I go to the beach house. And I, watched, I committed myself to seeing the sunrise and the sunset every day because I had to know that my father's world was still in order. My world was a disaster, but my father's world was still running like clockwork. So I would get up in the morning and I'd see the sun rise and I would go back to the beach and then see the sun set and I'd do a lot of walking and I had gotten myself angry. And I'm not strolling, but I am walking. And I'm like, Lord, 
you send me beach glass right now. I have got to know that you see this, that this is not a mistake, that this was in your plan, and that you're showing up for me, and that you're right here, and I want you to give me a piece of beach glass right now. I want it big, and I want it red. <laughs> I was in fine form. And, I mean, I've never found a piece of red sea glass in my life, over 30-something years of collecting, and I wanted it big and red. And in that moment, God, in his gracious mercy, spoke to me and said, look for the beauty I send, not the beauty you demand. So I bent down and I picked up a clamshell. Thank you, God. This is great. This will do. I'm happy. Okay. <laughs> but that has been, for me, part of the healing in that if I'm feeling alone and abandoned and nobody's here and nobody cares and how could you let this happen? I asked Jesus, could you help me see? I know you're here. You're up. You're always up. What am I missing? I know you're here. And inevitably, he shows me something. I get a text. I get a phone call. Whatever. A verse pops out. God shows me. But I can't demand how he's going to do that. That's not how this works. I tell him what I need, and then he gives it to me. That's a gumball machine. You put your quarter in, you get a gumball out. That's not God. So those dark days have the potential to push us to distance ourselves from God. Remember, I didn't turn from him. I ran to him. If I had turned from him, I would have denied myself the source of any comfort that he was dying to give me. Dark days have the potential to make us accusatory. How could you do this? Why would you allow this to happen? Why, 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 why? And God's saying, daughter, be still. I will tell you how. This isn't the time for why. And I don't even think that when I get to heaven, I'm going to walk right up to God and say, why? I don't think I'll care by then. It doesn't matter. All our days are appointed by God. Every one of them are numbered. That was David's day. I can go back and... Second guess a thousand things. What if I stayed home? What if I didn't do this? What? That's not the way to live. He is God's, and now he's with him. And it also causes us to look elsewhere for help. People seek to anesthetize their pain in any way they can because it just hurts so bad. They have to make it go away. Drugs or alcohol or over-exercising or overeating or under-eating, you name it. There's lots of ways to anesthetize your pain. But only Jesus really, really takes it. So one thing this great grief has opened my eyes to, if I, after walking with Jesus for over 50 years, could feel this bad, what do people do who don't know Jesus? Seriously. Like the amount of times that I pray and weep and trust and hold on to hope with both hands, it's worth fighting for, people. I'll tell you that. Hope is worth fighting for. But I know who to go to. What do people do? You know they're going through these losses. You know they're going through these pains and these, undi these diagnoses they don't want. And their children who are falling off the, the cliff. What do they do? There's a world waiting to know that when their world turns upside down, there's a God who loves them and who has their name written on the palm of his hand. And it's up to us to let him know that. Here, there, everywhere. Your pastor already went over all of this, so I'll move quickly. 
There's a couple of things we can do. One of them is to pray. And I'm not just saying like, God bless the missionaries, amen. Phew, that was hard. Pray. Pray for provision. Pray for protection. Pray for his presence. Some of our missionaries are in really dark places. They can't make it unless you are praying for protection, provision, and presence. Take one of my prayer cards. I'll tell you, this journey's no fun. If you would just stick this somewhere where you just ask the Lord to help me figure this out, I would be ever so grateful. That I, and as I continue to write, your pastor was saying before, he, he understands a little bit about the writing process. Sometimes after like a full day, that, your just brain just goes silent and you still have to put out the material. Pray that I would get the right ideas to be able to help this generation have hope to move forward. You can commit yourself to send. I gotta tell you, this, this faith promise changed our family. We were in ministry, but nobody had back in those days really talked much about a faith promise until we went on staff at Bethany Church as their youth pastor. And we were challenged for the first time as a family to give a faith promise. And I gotta tell you, it stretched us. Like your pastor was saying, it was like, whoa, we're just kinda like making ends meet here. I have never seen God not provide what our family has decided we would be the vessel for. Basically, it's just standing there saying, Lord, if you'll give X amount to me, I will just let it pour right through me out. We're a conduit. It comes in, it goes out. If you would trust us with this much, we're not going to keep it. But if you'd give it to us as a family, we're going to give it right back out. Does it change a family? I believe so. I've got one daughter who's a missionary, a son who's a pastor, and a daughter who's a worship leader. I'm not saying it was all because of this, but this year made a difference because the priority in our home was missions. Quick story. We were pastoring a church in Northvale, New Jersey, and a missionary, Steve Martinez, came from Spain, and we were having him do faith promises because by now we had learned what faith promises were about. And so my husband stood up there and he said, okay, I want you to give a faith promise card to every adult in the room. And the missionary stood right up and he goes, pastor, I'm sorry, I hate to correct the pastor. He's like, yeah, what's up? He goes, everybody in the room should have one. Children, everybody. Dave's like, okay. So told the ushers, okay, make sure the kids get them. So later on, he's going through the faith promises and he sees this little scrawl of a little kid and they'd filled out their name and they made a monthly faith promise of a quarter. Now, I live on a missionary budget. I will tell you that a quarter a month is not gonna change your life from a child, but it will change that child's life. And that afternoon, that child and his father were outside playing kickball and the ball went into the weeds and the little guy ran over to get it and he reached down in the weeds. And he said, Dad, Dad! Just like the missionary said, God gave me my first faith, first faith promise. It was 25 cents. That boy was my son. Opened a church in Robbinsville, New Jersey on 10-10-10 and is planting a new church in that community. Why? This is why I think. Because God had proved himself faithful to an eight-year-old little boy who pledged a quarter. So everybody can pray, everybody can send, and everybody should send. Don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can do. If you can't give a little, give a lot. If you can't give a lot, give a little. Do something. Be part of this movement. 
You just want to be part of it. You don't want to be left out, watching everybody else's fun stories. And then commit yourself to go. Now, I got to tell you, everybody can go somewhere. You can go far, you can go near, you can go across the globe or across the street, but we must go. Because suffering and pain is universal, and there is no answer for anything other than Jesus. We've tried it all, folks. We got the opportunity last night to go see the movie Jesus Revolution. I've been dying to see it. I'm a child of the 70s. I got saved in 1970 through that movement. I wasn't a hippie. I'm a little too young for the hippie business. But I did get saved in 70. And... Um, Sitting around the table, we're talking about the movie, and I said, you know, it was a great glance backward, but with a hopeful future view. Because I, I want God to do it again. This generation needs Jesus so badly. I've never seen so many 10-year-olds on antidepressants and anxiety medication. There's no need for that. Jesus has to be enough for them all. And we have to tell them. So wherever God sends you, go with that message. I love that banner. I kind of want to take one home. If you don't mind, I'll just rip it off the wall. Um, that's my verse of the year. Every year I give myself a verse, and that is the verse I've been praying over myself, that God, who is the source of all hope, will fill me with joy and peace as I trust in him. And then I will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my verse for me this year. And I can't think of a better verse for your church. Do that. Do that for this world. Folks, the day to prepare for your worst day is every day. It's this day. Your daily time with God is not something to be negotiated. That is what you will stand on when that day comes. And the day to commit to seeing that his mission is carried out in this world is this day. As a church, let's stand together and proclaim to each other, your family, your community, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, that Jesus is still the answer for everything that we face. His grace is sufficient, and I promise you, he is enough. Let's pray. Father God, send us into this world knowing that your unfailing love goes before us, behind us, beside us, and dwells within us. Send us into this world committed to make whatever sacrifice is necessary to draw closer to you than we have ever been before. Send us into this world and redeem our pain and our suffering so that we can be broken bread and poured out wine for others. And send us into this world knowing with joy that, our, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working together to help us do the good work you have prepared in advance for us to do. Father, we dedicate ourselves to you for your good plans and your good purpose so that your name may be glorified throughout the earth. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Put your hands together and praise the Lord. Thank you so much. That was good. That was really good. We're going to, at this time here, um, take up an offering uh, to the Lord but to bless the ministry of our, uh, our dear sister and family. Uh, but before all you girls come, um, I just want to challenge you um, before we take up the offering is, once again, let's listen. Let's ask God what God would have you give. 
It's always about before you act, you do the act of prayer. Can we do that? Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. Help us to always put prayer in the aspect of it all. And now speak to our hearts of how we can be a blessing to your name for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As they're coming forward, I just wanted to remind you, important is that um, we're going to be having a baptismal service uh, in two weeks. And so if you could just start taking the... Um, if you could um, go ahead, and if you have got saved or you haven't been baptized yet, uh, you have an opportunity to be able to be baptized. It's really important. Uh, we want to start baptizing individuals pretty close as soon as they get saved. It's, part of, it's the first step of following the Lord, and uh, it's, the, it's the aspect of um, growing in God is the act of obedience. It's a big step, so keep that in mind. Could you, in a second, I'm going to have you stand to your feet, but I want to just thank um, our uh, missionary. Um, you know, it's, it, I, I love the story. I really love that the story of Job is probably one of the hardest ones to truly understand because all his tragedy took place in one day. Not just a bad flat tire and what we call a bad day, but the heart of Job was always for the heart of God. And there's a lot of that story that we have a hard time with. And if you went through it, you would have a hard time too. But in the midst of it all, God promises to always be there. And I'm so glad what God's going to continue to do for you and in you. And the best days are yet to come. And Jerry, it's so good to have you here because um, to me, I think it's great to have mom and daughter together, supporting and serving together. That's a blessing within itself. I'm so glad that you guys um, can experience the journey together. And God's still on the throne. You're not alone. And uh, can someone say amen? So um, I'm going to have both of them uh, get up at this time, and I'm going to have them go to the table outside so you can get a chance to talk with them a little bit. And, um, and uh, since she's a teacher, um, ask her any tough question possible. <laughs> Could you stand to your feet? Men, we have um, uh, men's meeting afterwards, and so just uh, go downstairs and... Uh, get set up. Let's just go before the Father. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for today and for this time to celebrate missions. We thank you for the sweetness of your presence. God, I pray that as anybody watching online, that if they haven't made Jesus their Savior, they would ask you to forgive them right where they are. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you right where you are, just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I choose to live for you Come into my heart. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose on the third day. And this day, I declare, I want you to be my Savior and I want you to be my God. Make that your prayer today as you go to the highways and byways. May you share Jesus Christ with all that come into your path. Be an inviter and let's believe God to do great things. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in His church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website 
at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.